go to a place like that, where everybody tries to imitate God, and as a result, lives a life of love. There's no suggestion of immorality, greed, abusive speech, or deception. In this place of wonder, everybody lives a consistent life, and because of these things, they make the most of every opportunity. You can open your eyes now. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the church, to your church, to the spirit-filled church that we all hope to be a part of. I'm going to speak primarily today to people who have had broken experiences of church in this session, and I'm going to speak in my second session to people who have had broken experiences of themselves and of life. And my aim is to promote communal peace and personal peace. And so that's what I'm going for. I'm going to reiterate something that Ed mentioned, which is not to be afraid. I think sometimes when people come on things like this, they are afraid. They're a bit worried about what might come up. They're worried about what might be made known. My, my job is not exposing people, and I don't think God compels people to do things at all. I think he invites people, but I don't think he makes you do things. So I don't want you to be afraid. So the theory of church, as you know, is breathtaking. There's just one little problem. There's one small fly in the ointment, one tiny cloud on the horizon, and it is the people that make up the church. The people are like an ugly great gash, ruining what would otherwise be a perfect canvas. And can I say, when I say the people, speaking as the leader of a church, I mean you. I mean you, the people of the church, the ugly great gash. It's you. A fellow leader once told me he'd received a warning that a member of his church was planning to storm the stage the next time he spoke. Now, you'd think there'd have to be a very good reason why a member of the church would be so irate that they would want to storm the stage and disrupt a leader of a church while he's speaking. Do you want to know what the reason was? A member of his staff team had cancelled an evangelistic dinner. Right, now that's grounds to kill, isn't it? You people, you are so difficult. Always complaining, being needy, not doing what we leaders ask you to do. All leaders quickly discover, don't worry, this will be okay. All leaders quickly discover how many members of their church feel that God is calling them to rest at any given time. <laughs> have you heard of the so-called military year off that some people have completely erroneously taken as a good instruction to people that were married in the Old Testament where you actually had to fight wars? So if you just got married, 
don't go and fight for a year. That's in the Old Testament. None of us here fight wars, right? Anyway, people take that, apply that to their marriage, and they call it the military year off in the first year of marriage. Now, some people, in my experience, take that one year and they extend it to 10. And then there are other people who've never been married that apply that directly to themselves as well. And they're all in the church. They are you. This always makes me think of one of our spiritual superheroines who is educationally subnormal, who works with people who are dying of AIDS. She served coffee every Sunday evening, pretty much without exception, for 23 years in the church. She is not cool. We've just paid for her to have false teeth. She is um, nothing like the people that go to the church, by and large. She's obsessed with Simon Cowell. She thinks I'm like Simon Cowell. She's met Simon Cowell by hanging around long enough outside his house. <clears throat> but she, in, she used to stand by the swing doors in our church and, and make sure that uh, when they swung open, because they squeaked, she would hold them in such a way that they didn't squeak and disturb the preaching of the Word of God. How many are like her? Not many of you. The people of the church are such a problem, and of course... So are the leaders of the church, aren't they? So all leaders behave atrociously. And of course, I've met lots of church leaders. As I have got to know them, without exception, they have behaved atrociously, by anybody's definition, at some point. Some of them again and again and again, in, to my certain knowledge. Now, Ed is no different unless worse is different. <laughs> the same leader who told me about the stage-storming incident also told me about a time when he was preaching and there was a crying baby. And the thing is, he briefed his staff team that he could not handle crying babies when he was speaking. If there's a crying baby when I'm speaking, he briefed his team, you must go up to the mother, have the difficult conversation and get the child out of the room because I am preaching the word of God. There's a baby going, Rah! and it's not even a little cry, it's a big cry. Rah! He glances over, looks at the mother, she's smiling. He looks at his team, they are smiling, everybody's smiling. No one is doing anything about the baby. It is going baby crazy. So in the end, he does this. Yeah. Destroyed the church growth of his church. It was going really well, adding lots of young families. It set the church back by months. Yeah. No, no, just a fake gun. Just a fake gun. I'm so sorry. So sorry. A fake gun. Does this look like a gun? It's fingers. All right, so basically, yeah, a fake gun pretended to shoot the baby. I mean, if it had been a real gun, I mean, that, sorry, I'm so sorry. Fake gun. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. He had to make a public apology that just kind of really set things back. So the leaders of the church are such a problem. The leaders of the church are demanding. They are oversensitive. They are controlling. They are weak, and they fail to practice what they preach. We are all such problem people, aren't we? Aren't we? Every single one of us here is a problem person. We sing about the perfection of God. We've just done it. Was it moving? It was moving, wasn't it? Great song choice, great words, wonderful truths. How many people felt a little bit tearful? So we sing about the perfection of God, and then we behave as though we've never heard of him. Don't we? What are we like? 
We get in the way of what God is doing all the time. And yet, paradoxically, we are the people God uses. And astonishingly, we continue to be his only plan for the redemption of the world. We're just going to say together, I am God's only plan for the redemption of the world. Out loud, first person, I am. Ready? One, two, three. I am God's only plan for the redemption of the world. Now turn to the person next to you and say to them, you are God's only plan for the redemption of the world. It's a nightmare. It just gives you an idea of how weird it is. One, two, three. I find it quite difficult to get that bothered about issues of the national church in my country. I've never found it easy to engage with big picture thinking at all. I know some people really do. I've never been able to. And the reason is because I think leading one church, trying to get one church at all straight in any respect is a big enough challenge. Because of the people that go and the people that lead it. I think that's enough for the vast majority. Let's not worry too much about everything else out there. I mean, we are a challenge in and of ourselves. And yet we are God's best shot. Uh, Why is that true? Why are you God's best plan for the redemption of the world? Well, I think it's really to the glory of God, if I'm being honest. I think the ultimate reason is because of 1 Corinthians 1.27, which says that God takes the weak and foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. So I think we're weak enough to be in the church. I think that's what we've got in common. Whenever we are tempted to think it'd be brilliant if such and such was a Christian, you know, that well-known superstar, especially here, that incredible celebrity, we're aiming way too high, just so you know. We need to aim a lot lower to find our own kind. We are the weak and foolish things of the world, and we are God's sick joke being told against those who've got it up together. This is the wisdom of God. Remember, Jesus became downwardly mobile, didn't he? He didn't do a power display in the way that we would understand it. He did a servant display. So everything in the kingdom of God is upside down. So we are an upside down manifestation of the kingdom. We are weak enough. That's why we've got the problems we've got. Because we're weak enough to display, for God to display his glory through us. We're weak enough. It's good news. That's why we're his plan. As long as we can turn to God in our weakness as opposed to just wallowing around in our weakness, one aspect of which is unresolved church pain. My people don't have unresolved church pain, not really. Do you know why? Because they don't go to church. Come to the UK. No church. The only pain they acquire is what happens to them in my church. And we keep that to a minimum. I met this Brazilian rancher in a club. No. I met this Brazilian rancher in a church in Jacksonville, one of our plants. And he added to my knowledge of sheep folly. You know that we're likened to sheep an embarrassingly large number of times in the Bible. So let me tell you a few things about sheep that I didn't know. You may know this, but I didn't know this. So what kind of animal do you think compares with a sheep in terms of intellect? Any guesses? A sheep would be like a... Goat, lower, lower, definitely lower than a pig. A chicken. Okay, so sheep have got the same brain capacity as a chicken. Now, the reason that there are sheep dogs is because sheep can't flock. 
They are too stupid to flock. They cannot get together in the group. So the, the dogs yap at them to get them to form into any kind of group whatsoever. That's a bit like us, isn't it? Difficult for us to get into a group. And then basically, when a sheep gets lost, that's it. It's had it. It has no frame of reference for coming back because it doesn't know how to come back to anything. Right? Because it, it, the thing as a corporate thing, doesn't exist for the sheep. So it has to go and get rescued by the shepherd, which is why the shepherd leaves all the other sheep where they are and goes to get the one that's lost. Because if he doesn't, it's screwed. So basically... Um, Sheep are frightened of running water. That's why in Psalm 23, the picture of the sheep being in, in green pasture, which is like sheep nirvana, by still heaven, sorry, by still waters, right? The thing is, if a sheep encounters running water, it will run screaming away because it's frightened of running water. Even if it's actually dying of thirst, it will not drink running water. Sheep are stupid. It's not a compliment to be called a sheep. So why should we bother then, given all of these realities, the gap between who we are and what we should be? You know, trying to do church properly, the way it's meant to be, and doing it the way we've done it, and the way some of you have suffered in places where you expected one thing and experienced something else. Let us remind ourselves about Paul's uninteresting mystery. I'll just read to you a verse which explains what motivated and drove Paul. This is the mystery that was revealed by God to Paul. So a mystery, in biblical terms, is not a secret. It's a secret that's been made known. So this is the mystery that God revealed to Paul. This is Ephesians 3, verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. It's probably over there. Members of one body and sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. Isn't that energizing? Doesn't that make you want to bounce up and down and clap? I don't think it does, does it? I'm going to read it again. Because you obviously haven't got it. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. That is the mystery that drove Paul, got him into so much danger, led him into so much excitement. He was driven by that mystery, which means almost nothing to you whatsoever. It's the uninteresting mystery of Paul. Surely, the reason it's uninteresting is because we haven't come from a background like Paul's in which those who were Jewish by birth considered themselves to be marked out by God as against the rest of the Gentile world and separated from it. For Paul, it was a monumental change to come to believe that membership of the people of God now had nothing to do with works of the law, like, for example, being circumcised, but simply had to do with faith in the new thing that God had done in Jesus Christ. Paul explains that there are two dividing walls of hostility, separating humanity in Ephesians 2 verse 14, the first dividing us from God because of our sin, and the second dividing Jews and Gentiles because of a wrong, wrong understanding amongst the people of Israel of what it meant to be the people of God. The people of God were always meant to be a light to the nations, but they turned their privileged status as the people of God into something which said something about them and excluded them from anybody else. There was a sign around the temple saying, if any Gentile crosses this line, they will be killed. Jewish people would pray every day, thanking God that they were not a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. Sorry, women, obviously. It's deeply offensive. It shows the level of misogyny that we've been wrestling with ever since. Paul insists that 
in Christ through his death on the cross, these walls have been completely destroyed. So the coming into being of the church actually has huge implications. This is what the church, the church, is meant to do. It's meant to be the hope of peace. Personal peace, as we're reconciled to God by looking to what God did for us in Christ, as we theoretically know, but we'll look at whether we do know that later. And then communal peace, as we accept other people who've also been reconciled on the same undeserving basis as ourselves. And so there is an expectation resting on us to show the world how people can resolve issues of strife within our community of peace. Let's just say that again. So the church is meant to show everybody else how to deal with issues of division, antagonism between people, jealousy, hatred. That's our job. It's amazing, isn't it? How many of you have experienced the opposite in church, just as a matter of interest? How many people have experienced the very opposite of that? I am gunning for you in this session. Maybe we'll never come back to this room. I like to think that by the end of today, we will be able to leave here in this room, psychically, we will leave here what has been true, the brokennesses that still dog us and hold us back, that are communal and personal. That's my job. I'm so glad that my devotional book, which I call Blue Be Blue Book, because it's blue, my devotional book, Blue Be Blue Book, spoke to me the first day I arrived. All the verses were about being an apostle, and I am an apostle. That means I'm one that God has sent out to start churches, to break new grounds. And it was all the things about being apostolic, the dilemmas, being loved, being hated, being, um, seeing God move in power, being persecuted. It was all the things. And I felt God say, I know you, and I know that you're here, and I know why you're here, and I know why I'm here. I'm here to take away these things. That's why God has called me to you on this occasion now, to take away these experiences. So I'm going to do my very best to help you let God take away these things. I am not messing. I know church pain. I've had my experience of church pain. But really, what exactly did we expect? Because is not the church just a collection of broken people, really, right? Broken people who've had the wisdom to know they need to be saved, but not surprisingly, are not the finished article. How many people think they are actually the finished article at the moment? How many people somewhat despair of how much they are not the finished article? What happens, what's wrong with the rest of you? Let's try that again. How many of you are not actually slightly concerned that you're not more finished than you ought to be? Right? So it's not that surprising, is it, that when your thing bangs up against somebody else's unresolved thing, there's going to be trauma? It's, is it that surprising? I was part of a church which was lit of 900 people that was killed by another church, literally closed down because they wanted the building. Simple as that, we just want the building. Oh, Bye then. I then spent the next, let's say, 10 years helping people who'd lost their faith as a result of that decision. I didn't lose my faith. Do you know why? Because I became a Christian from atheism because I knew what an absolute F-up I was. Nobody needs to convince me. I knew that before I became a Christian. 
I needed to be saved. It wasn't a surprise to me to encounter the fact that other people in the church, oh, they really needed to be saved. It's not like a joke. It's not like a little spiritual truism, oh, we needed to be saved. It's not, it's saved means if you don't get saved, you're going to die. It's not a surprise, is it? So, <clears throat> I want you to think differently, victims of church pain. I want you to think differently just to start with. These things were somewhat inevitable. Did they hurt? Yes. Should they have happened? No. I'm not condoning any of it. I'm just saying it's not a surprise, but you need to get back on the horse to fully engage in a new community. Fully engage. Is it going to be perfect? No. Could you be hurt again? Possibly. But there isn't another way. That's the problem. We're not free to disregard the church. Christians have to belong to a church. And church does not mean meeting with your two best buds in a mutual appreciation society. It doesn't mean being in a WhatsApp group. It doesn't mean downloading Bethel. It just does not mean those things. It means engaging with the people around you, like you're doing now. Now, you clearly believe in church, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So I'm, I am speaking to the church, because you're actually here, having a go, right? So good on you for having a go. Because where else do we need to practice things like humility, gentleness, patience, or love? In the restroom? On our own? No. When we're interacting with other nightmare people like ourselves, we can't live out the Christian life on our own in a little spiritual bubble with God as worship music goes on. We've got to do it here with one another and do the best we can with what we've got. So how are we going to be a real church? I mean, I love bread. I love every church plant I visit. And I love any sign of life. I'm delighted by any sign of life. I came last year. It was wonderful to be there on a Sunday to see the life. Absolutely wonderful. I can feel the life. You know, you need to tell me about life. I can smell life. It was absolutely wonderful to see, to see you being here. I'm so happy you've made me happy. And that's the most important thing. <laughs> How are we going to do it, though? How are we going to go on from here as bread? How are we going to actually be a church? I'm glad you asked me that. Paul's whole letter in Ephesians is really an exhortation to live a life of corporate love. And Paul instructs us to maintain our unity. Now, that must mean it's possible not to maintain your unity, as we know only too well. So the very fact that we're told to maintain it must imply that we could not maintain it. So let's consider some common unity destroyers that you may have suffered from. Pride. A determination that my way is the best and only way. Aggression. If I, I'm going to get my way by force if necessary. Impatience. Why can't you see that my way is the best and only way? And disregarding one another. Because you can't see that mine is the best and only way, you have no value. These qualities make up a perfect disunity cocktail, which I suggest is our drink of choice when we revert to type. Behaving with a defensiveness that suggests that we think it's entirely up to us to look after ourselves. Forget God, he's completely gone from the picture. It's up to me to look after myself and my own. Being a Christian does not take away personality flaws. It doesn't take away personality clashes. It does not take away strong disagreements. It shows us how to behave when these, these inevitable things happen. So how are we going to do church properly? Well, we could give these things a try, and even as I mention them, you will realize how difficult they are. So we could give these things. If we want to be in a church and make it function, we could all personally commit to displaying qualities like this. One, humility. Humility. 
Humility means, amongst other things, giving no time to proving how spiritual you are. When you're having coffee, you don't need to prove anything. When you're new to the church, you don't need to prove who you are. If you've been in the church a long time, you don't need to prove to new people who you are. You need to spend no time proving anything about who you are. You don't need to prove how spiritual you are. You don't need to jostle for position or for recognition in the church. Think about how sick that is. To want the recognition of sick people of the kind that are in the church. How dysfunctional are we? The answer is very dysfunctional. It's astonishing that people can get a sense of identity from the projections of a group of people, from a church group of people. But we do. You should tattoo some of these qualities onto your children so you remember them. Humility. Meekness. Meekness. That means the restraint of our natural and immediate response to a situation. Meekness. Restrain something. Be strong and restrain. Patience. In a dispute, try to understand where the other person is coming from before you tell them. Be long-suffering. Give people a good chance to change before you open your great big mouth. Love. Make sure that what you're saying promotes the well-being of the person you're speaking to. How are we going to do those things, ladies and gentlemen? Because I am actually coming to an obvious conclusion now, and one that is at the heart of bread. I'm just going to explain another mystery, if you haven't got it already, which I'm pretty sure you have. I mean, I'm only the repeater of truths. How are we going to do this? Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one possible answer to the question, and it's contained in this very short reading from Ephesians, which will be on the screen. As a prisoner for the Lord, in other words, as somebody who's really suffered for this kind of thing, Paul says, so I'm not saying this to you lightly as somebody who's just talking theory. I have lived this life. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Is that the right reading? No, it is not. Let's try the next one. <laughs> but that's quite good. He goes on to say, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord. Give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice, submitting to one another comes after connecting with the Lord. So, basically... We have to go on in the tense here, being filled with the Spirit. It's continuous. Go on being filled with the Spirit. You know, some people do have wham-bam experiences of the Holy Spirit. In churches like this, where we pray for people, they do. You can see them have them. Some people, however, have always known the Holy Spirit, even in churches where the Holy Spirit wasn't really talked about, which unfortunately is somewhat characteristic of your churches. Not mine, because we don't have any churches. So basically, so basically... Um, uh, even in those churches, though, there are people that know the Spirit. They know of the Spirit. And some people think, well, why haven't I had a wham-bam experience? I want a wham-bam-a-lama-ding-dong. I think wham-bam-a-lama-ding-dong, and I've been doing this for 34 years and praying for people, is God's insult to people. I think God prefers cooperation. He likes, hey, Abram, do you want to come follow me? Hey, disciples, do you want to come follow me? And they go, yes. Peter, do you want to walk on the water? Okay. 
I think he likes that. He likes obedience. Just like simple obedience. If he can't get it, sometimes there's a bit of drama. So you are all people of the Spirit, but we need to go on being filled with the Spirit. And really, the second experience that some people bang on about comes between the first and the third. Right? You just need to go on being filled with the Spirit. So this, at this time together, you should be as prayed for as you can, really. I mean, why not? It is the magic with God, being filled with the Spirit. So don't deprive yourself of the magic with God. That's just silly. That's going home with the wrapping paper and not taking the present, isn't it? So, be filled with the Spirit, don't be filled with other things. Now, the, the truth is, most of us here will be filled with other things. What are you filled with at the moment? What do you tend to fill yourself with when there's a crisis? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it sex? What is it? Anxiety? Fear? Hatred? What are you full of? We, we are human beings. We will get our needs met. We're going to get our needs met one way or another. We could get our needs met by being filled with the Spirit. But if we don't, we're definitely, definitely going to get them met in another way. So the, the encouragement of God is to be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> now, the thing is, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will know, and so will other people. They'll know because you've got a song going on. Verse 19. Have a look at that. Is that you? Is it some, I mean, I'll, get, I'll accept sometimes. Is it sometimes you? Being filled with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Is that sometimes you? <laughs> Got a little song going on. Is that sometimes you? I'll take sometimes. If you're filled with the Spirit, there will be a song going on. Your heart, which is where the Spirit fills you, will ready, readily express what it's full of, praise and thanks to God. So if the Spirit is working in you, your heart will naturally produce thanks and praise to God. And then you will stand a cat in hell's chance of submitting to other people. Easy. We all know what churches should be like. We also know there are horrendous examples of failure within and between churches. And we ourselves have suffered as a result, as I mentioned. Again, I am coming for you. But we were never expected to do this stuff on our own. We, we do not have what it takes to pull this off as we have so often proved. Why then do we so often behave as though it's all up to us and then wonder why it's gone so horribly wrong? It's because we're not keen on the most important thing, on the easy and most wonderful thing, which is intimacy with God. We're actually not that keen on intimacy with God. Do you know why? It's because when you open yourself to God, you meet yourself. It puts us off because we know what's going on inside or we don't want to know. We prefer to keep the lid on. It's easier just to keep the lid on and to try to satisfy ourselves with things that do not satisfy us. But if we really want God, we're going to have to open ourselves to God, which means we're going to meet ourselves, which means we may go through a period of sadness and pain, which we don't like. So we avoid intimacy with God, which is the present, and we fiddle around with the wrapping in which the present is wrapped. And we, we make do with that. It's not enough. <clears throat> And that's the problem of church, ladies and gentlemen. It's the problem of the people that go to the church. It's the problem of the leaders of church. Not enough connection with God by his spirit. That's the problem. That's the problem we've all got. Not enough connection with God by his spirit. So I am quite simply a much nicer person after I've prayed. By some horrendous fault of Ed's, 
we had like a time of praying together as a team this morning before I had had time to meet with God. It was ridiculously early. It was something like 8 o'clock. No, 8.30. And basically, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you're not turning up till 11. And so basically, um, I have the horrible experience of turning up to meet other people before I've prayed. And I'm genuinely a little bit concerned because I don't know what I'm like. Well, sorry, I do know what I'm like you know, before I've actually processed myself with God. My children and my wife know what I'm like, and so if they need things that they think I might not want to give them, they don't ask me until after I've prayed. Because I'm a much nicer person after I've prayed. Do you know why? It's because I've met a much nicer person than me. But we live life very often without the consolation of meeting the nice person. And then we wonder why we're not that nice and why when we try to get together with other people, they're not that nice either. It's because we're not connecting with the person that has to fill us for us to live a functional life. And that is why bread does the ministry thing. That's why it's process, process, get prayed for. And the great thing about bread, it's one redeeming feature, like St. Mary's, is that you can receive prayer. Seriously, there are great churches that do all the other crap, but because you can't respond, because you can't get prayed for, it doesn't go anywhere. People are regularly inspired and moved, and it goes nowhere. They're regularly opened, and it goes nowhere. But because you can come forward and get prayed for, you can become a transformed person. Now, sometimes it's true. People need counseling. They need professional help. Absolutely. Or I think about my um, colleague who is, uh, runs our kids' stuff. Um, her uh, alcoholic father didn't want her to be born, made it very clear, um, tried to have her aborted. Um, uh, when she was six, said, let's have a special day together, took her to a supermarket, showed her all the alcohol and said, this will always be more important to me than you. As my hairdresser said when I told him that, that story, bastard. She brings many people to Christ. She's a phenomenal minister to children. She loves Jesus. She used to get prayed for week after week after week. I could go on and on. Do you get the general idea? So if you come in here with church pain today, you have to trust me. I've done tons of these things, and I've been praying for you. This session is about church pain, unresolved church pain that dogs you, that you haven't been able to get over. I want you to leave it. So, as with all things Christian, the first place is to start with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so, I'm internationally known by a very small number of people for teaching about the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I just want to be very clear. Having been in church leadership for decades now, being true church is just as supernatural as healing the sick or casting out demons. So, when we are finding it difficult to hold things together with other people in the church, the Holy Spirit should be our first port of call. The problem is he usually isn't. According to Paul, though, the Christian life can only be lived out in the power of the Spirit. In fact, he is the person in whose dimension of life you experience God if you experience God at all. He's the one who calls you to follow Jesus. He's the one that convicts you of sin. He's the one that teaches you to pray. In fact, you cannot pray without the Holy Spirit. Hands up people who find praying difficult. Okay, that's because you're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to do it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to help you in your weakness, right? But what we do is we think prayer is our job. Oh, I've got to pray. Oh, I've got to pray now. I'm supposed to pray. We don't know anything about relying on the Spirit when we pray. You could make it so much more fun and easy. 
Anyway, uh, you can't understand the Bible without praying. People, I don't like reading the Bible. I don't like reading the Bible. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible? Just saying. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. He gives us gifts for service. No aspect of the Christian life can be truly lived out independently of the power of the Spirit. It's why I wrote my book. I bought copies of my book. Can you please buy them? I'm not taking them home. It's a nightmare bringing them to these places. You owe me. I make no money out of these things. They're owned by the church. Buy the book. It's everything I know about the Holy Spirit, and it's a summary of other people's stuff who know far more than I do. I have summarized their theology. I've added a few jokes. At the end of every single chapter, there's a story about what God can do just from people in St. Mary's, because I wanted to show if it can happen in one church, it can probably happen in other ones, including a story that even Ed wrote. I managed after many years to find one thing I could put in my book. <clears throat> so... It's vital to understand about the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not about church attendance. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian the same way that going to McDonald's does not make you a burger. Christianity is not a religion, as theologian Karl Barth, do you know he was Swiss? I just found that out recently by somebody that cares. Swiss theologian Karl Barth observed that religion is the height of our rebellion against God. Christianity simply is not a religion, though it is in this country. Christianity is not a moral code in which we try really hard to please God. That's dead religion. Christianity is a living relationship in which we come to know and experience God in Christ by the power of his spirit. So we cannot afford to be cautious about the Holy Spirit. That's like trying to be cautious about breathing. Ever met someone that goes, look, I can't talk to you now because I'm trying not to breathe too much because I don't want to get carried away with breathing. It's vital to my actual life. So I'm just taking a little breath because I don't want to get carried away. Breathing to the physical life is what the Holy Spirit is to the spiritual life. So you need a great big gulp of the Holy Spirit all the time. Again, that's why we do ministry. See, the great thing is, I understand now, quite a lot of people come forward for prayer. And that's brilliant because it means uninitiated people can come forward. It's not like two people and it's a bit embarrassing. Anyone can do it now. That's brilliant. That's a massive breakthrough. When there's a big enough crowd at the front, it means new people can go and not feel exposed. And they can get blasted out of their heads. Fantastic. We had a guy last Sunday who turned up for the first time in the church. We had a time of sort of spontaneous singing. He could not stop singing. He's got the voice of an angel. He's a professional singer, and he couldn't stop himself. He said, why can I not stop singing? Start singing again. Fantastic. He said, what is this? He's the son of evangelical um, church leaders. What is this? Oh, do you think it could be the Holy Spirit, you doofus? So, imagine Jesus saying, lo, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, but be careful. Be cautious, right, don't get carried away. It doesn't make sense, does it? I don't see there's much place for caution in Christianity, and certainly not in relation to the Spirit, which is our breath. And he's the one that holds us together, basically. So we need to be as filled with the Spirit as we possibly can. And that's that. And you know Jesus promised how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who are very mature Christians or to those who have nothing wrong with their life, to those who have definitely prayed and read the Bible today, who've never got cross with their children or had a crossword to exchange with their husband or wife. That's what it says, isn't it? How much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask to suckers like us? Thanks be to God. Good. So, church pain victims, this is your opportunity. We'll do personal pain later. But if you know 
that you're still suffering the effects of church pain, what I'd like you to do is come forward so that you can actually be prayed for. You do not have to go into all the details. No one's going to embarrass you, um, but um, this is your time. So if it's you, just come forward. Let's all stand. It'll make it easier for people to move around.